I would hope that people in long-term care would realize our hopes and our goals. Life is learning. We have a lot in common with older adults. Hello and welcome to another episode of Elder Wisdom Stories from the Green Bench. I'm one of your co-hosts, Kathy Buckworth, and along with my co-host, Evelyn Brindle, we are going to be speaking with Heather Luth today. She is the Dementia Specialist for Schlegel Villages, and we're going to be talking about the philosophy and the program known as Living in My Today, as well as getting to know Heather a little bit better. But before we get into that, Evelyn, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Everything is a beautiful day out there, and I'm looking forward to talking with Heather and you about a very important topic, and that is dementia, and uh, how people relate to it, how they see the world in their present state. And I think everyone will come away with some very good information and helpful ideas this morning. Yeah, and I'm looking forward to it from a personal perspective as well, as I have a family member who is dealing with this, and I feel like I don't know enough about it. So let's just get this started. Let's let's introduce Heather. Heather is with us. Heather, so nice to have you on the show today. Thank you. It was exciting to be invited. So Heather, we need to know a little bit about you. So how did this happen? How did you become the dementia specialist for Schlegel Villages? Well, it was a journey, and of course, a journey starts with that single step. I remember years and years ago uh, when I was at McMaster University, and I had been accepted into the social work program, and then I spent a summer, my summer job was in a retirement home, and I had the time of my life. I learned how to crochet in someone's suite. Um, This beautiful uh, woman taught me how to crochet. I had another group teach me how to make jam. And I said, you know what? Social work, great. But I think I need to work with elders. And so that's where it all started. And and I've never looked back. It's been such a great time. Can you tell us a little bit about a program you called Grand Friends? I'm a grandma of three. I really want to know about this. Can you tell me about that? Absolutely. So, you know, the next part of my journey, actually, when I was at Schlegel Villages, is I started in their recreation department, and I was the volunteer director. And so for me, it was really important to make community connections. We want to make sure that our homes are vibrant parts of the community and that we give our community opportunities to engage with us. So I actually went to a local uh a local school, an elementary school, and said, hey, would you be interested in bringing a class to our village? And we would make a partnership. So we would uh, bring the kids in once every month, and we would have an activity that we share. So not kids coming in to perform a song and a dance, but for us to actually do an activity together, because that's when real engagement happens. 
do you want to know how I introduced this idea for the school? Of course. <laughs> okay. I, I think this is going to surprise you. I don't think you're ready for this. I used a puppet. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. So many, again, good heavens, I've done so many weird things in my life, uh, including going to a clown uh, college day with my husband. He wanted to do clowning to bring two children in a hospital. I went to a puppet workshop and I came home with an old man puppet. I called him Grandpa Ernie. He's a very hip happening dude. And Grandpa Ernie and I went to the grade one of this local school and um, I had Grandpa Ernie, who wasn't able to speak, teach the kids how you can still communicate even when you can't say something. And so they asked questions and Grandpa Ernie nodded vigorously. And, you know, this was my method of trying to help uh, make sure that the kids were going to feel comfortable when they came to uh, to visit our seniors. And that was the beginning of a beautiful friendship and a beautiful program. And so for years and years, right up until COVID, this elementary school, the grade one class, came once a month to hang out and to engage and to learn things together. And they would come and they'd show They'd show off what they had learned most recently at school, and they would do something together. And that's what we really wanted to promote, was that um, that we can be in life together. We can continue to live life together, that it's not just, you know, old people who are put over there, but that, uh, that there can be meaningful connections between uh, young and old. Um, so it was something I... I will always be very proud of, and I continue to have my Grandpa Ernie puppet. Um, he gets pulled out from time to time, and the residents love Grandpa Ernie, too. So we've had a lot of fun with that over the years. Well, I went to circus school, but I've yet to deploy my limited trapeze skills to benefit <sighs> society. But, you know, maybe maybe one day. <laughs> but oh. I think I, I could agree with you, Heather, that the interaction between young and old is so important. I think, Evelyn, you you know, we have grandkids. This is important, yeah. isn't it? It definitely is. It certainly has been a help when the grandkids uh, relate and, and converse with my husband who has uh, dementia. And just uh, being able to talk about sports, which is one aspect that Dave really enjoys and the boys all do. Uh, they can relate with each other, and he talks about their conversations for days afterwards, and it means a lot to him. And the kids, uh, our grandsons also get a lot out of it because they see Grandpa still with it and can remember and relate to all of the things that they enjoy watching or doing themselves. So it's a good relationship and uh, everyone needs it. I don't care whether you have dementia or not. We all need that kind of contact with uh, our families. I noticed, too, uh, when you were talking, uh, Heather, that you mentioned the word journey an awful lot uh, for yourself, but um, it's one of the items that I noticed um, 
when we were talking about dementia previously, that um, dementia is actually a, a journey of change. And that is so very true. Uh, having you know, dealt with or uh, dealing with my husband and his dementia and having seen it in his mother and his sister as well, uh, there, there is a constant change. It's day to day in many cases. And dealing with that is a very, not an easy task, I should say. And I think you feel that way too. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm glad to have seen that um, this program that you're going to be talking to us about or we'll be discussing living in my today is so very true and so very helpful, I think, for uh, all of the caregivers, especially, in understanding what is happening, how to deal with it. Uh, so maybe you can tell us a little bit more about this program that Schlegel Villages are introducing. Absolutely. So, you know, Evelyn, you've nailed the uh, most important thing, the words journey and change. So that is an integral part of our understanding at Schlegel Villages about dementia. So when I'm teaching people, you know, in a class about uh, dementia, I usually start by uh, using an analogy. So I will say to people, you know, have you ever had a really, really bad headache? And if you've had a really bad headache, does it change the way that you perceive the world that is around you? You know, so if you have a bad headache, Kathy, do you need uh, to have your environment change at all? Does noise bother you? Like, it, you know, what do you think, Kathy? Is that something that happens to you if you've got a headache? Absolutely. You know, and I think that's a great way to sort of frame this. Absolutely. Yeah. So if you've got a headache, the, you know, some people, if they have a migraine, they need a quiet space, noise bothers them. They need to draw the drapes because light bothers them. The smell of cooking bothers them, right? So your experience of the world is actually different when you have a headache. It changes how you perceive and experience the world. Absolutely. And, and from so, a physical and mental sort of perspective, correct? Absolutely. Absolutely. So the, the thing then that I remind people of is that the rest of you don't find the world too noisy or too bright, right? It's just me in that moment because there's a physical, a physiological change that's happened in my brain at that moment where I've got that headache. And so it's impacting my experience of the world. And so I, I like to say that that's what we kind of need to think about when we are thinking about dementia, that dementia, no matter what type, is actually causing a physiological change in people's brains. And that change is actually impacting how they experience and perceive the world around them. So they don't actually see things exactly the same way that you or I do. They don't experience sounds in the exact same way. So then I go one step further and I say, you know, when I have a really bad headache, I can take some Tylenol or, you know, Advil and I can really improve that headache. 
the tricky part about dementia is that there's not a wonder drug that is making dementia go away. There's not a wonder drug that takes away all the symptoms, that reverses dementia. Um, and so that's the hard part. So what we need to do is actually learn about their experience. We need to take a walk in their shoes, if you will, so that we really understand what are the changes that they're experiencing and how can we then support them to be able to live with those changes. So I don't know if that makes sense for you, but sometimes I like to see the world through an analogy. It just makes it feel a little um, easier to understand. Yeah, I think it really individualizes it, which is, as you've mentioned, is the key sort of to getting to know the person living with dementia as an individual and what they're personally going through. It's like the philosophy of living in my today. Absolutely. It's unique to each person. In fact, there's a saying that when you know one person who's living with dementia, you know one person who's living <laughs> right. with dementia, right? Because there's, you know, there's a lot of information out there about dementia. There's lots of uh, definitions and perspectives about dementia that include a lot of staging language. So whether it's, you know, three stages of dementia, five or seven, um, but at the end of the day, each person's experience along the way is going to be different based on who they are. You can have someone who uh, has been a very optimistic person their entire life, and that optimism and that uh, is going to shine through even in their experience of dementia. You're going to have a person perhaps who has always been very quiet their entire life, maybe they've not been a really social person, well, that's not going to magically change when they are living with dementia. And that also means how we support them has to reflect their personality because suddenly saying, well, they should go to a support group, that may not be something they've ever intended on uh, being a part of, and that's not necessarily going to change now. So we can't support people living with dementia in a one-size-fits-all way because their experience is not only different um, based on who they are, but it's also different day-to-day. Uh, um, you know, I think about, again, you and I, if we get a really good night's sleep, we are maybe our best self the next day. If we didn't get a good night's sleep, Kathy, you've got a new grandbaby. So if you were <laughs> looking after that grandbaby, let's say, um, in the evening and you didn't sleep well, that might impact how you experience the next day. So dementia is not nearly as cut and dried and, and tidy that we can fit it into a box the way perhaps that we might think uh, it actually works. I think one of the most difficult parts of, uh, of it or this type of dementia that happens is when a person is withdrawn and, and doesn't communicate, um, that it's difficult for both the caregiver and the person's family and for them too because they, they seem to have lost touch with their community, with their family, with uh, anything around them. And it's very difficult dealing with that. But um, there are so many different things um, that 
living in my today, uh, the program itself is offering, and I find that very interesting and very helpful, uh, especially since so many of us are facing dementia, either ourselves or with a family member. Um, the program offers like five pillars, I know uh, that there. Um, and maybe you can tell us a little bit more about those, Heather. Uh, sure. It's, that's very do- interesting. Sure. I, uh, I'm happy to tell you about those five pillars. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also want to come back, though, to your comment about communication. So we're um, maybe we'll do that first because okay. you were talking for a moment about how hard it is, right? When our yeah. loved one who's living with dementia, when their communication ability changes and when we see them withdrawing. And those are some of those very real and, as you said, difficult symptoms, right, of living Definitely. with dementia. So as that dementia journey progresses, we know that people's communication abilities change. And so very commonly experienced is something called aphasia. And aphasia has two types. It's expressive, so it's in the ability to say things and to communicate with others. But it's also, it can be um, understanding what others say. So that's receptive aphasia. So how do I understand what others are saying? So it's like a double whammy. So, you know, as people really experience those changes in their ability to communicate, I know that it becomes very disheartening for families. We so badly want to hear the voice of that person who we love. And we want to hear them, you know, say our name. We want them to to demonstrate verbally that they're understanding what we're saying. And so it's hard when that ability changes. So what I want to offer to you and to, you know, all of our listeners is that as people are living with advanced, you know, dementia, that's, that's, that journey is advancing, they're further along. We want to think about the fact that communication has changed. They still have the ability to communicate, but they are doing that in nonverbal ways. And so, you know, we have people who are maybe better able to understand your gestures and your body language and your facial expression than they are able to understand your words, right? Because words become that tricky part that we may not be able to understand. And then the other thing is, um, I love uh, a tip that Dr. Alan Power uh, actually offers where he says, you know, regardless of the fact that the other person's communication abilities have changed, yours haven't. So it becomes our job to make sure that we are communicating with them and that we're changing the way that we communicate with them um, to give them the best opportunity to understand us. So we need to really slow down. We need to slow down and we need to use things like one verb sentences. So we're just going to have a sentence with one verb so that that person can hear us, listen and understand before we 
add the next sentence. We're not very good at pausing. I was doing this exercise last week in a training session, and we actually had a timer. And I had a PSW who was supposed to talk to another PSW who was uh, taking the part of the resident. And I asked her to use a one-verb sentence and to give the resident 10 seconds to answer back. Now, 10 seconds it does not seem like a long time. Am I right? Right. No. Yeah. But you know what? The, the person who was the PSW with the one verb sentence, she couldn't wait. She ended <laughs> up needing to give three sentences in that 10-second period. And what I had to then say to her was, every time you start over with a new sentence with another verb, you're asking that person to start all over understanding what you're saying. And so, wow, that means that it's going to be a lot more tricky, right? For them to understand and to respond to you. So interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So we have to really think about how are we communicating with people and can we change how we communicate? So at the end of the day, remember they can always hear you. And so you're the one who can uh, be communicating with them and reassuring them that, you know, you love them. You're there for them. And I know that all of our listeners now are very curious to know after that, that was wonderful. They're very curious to know now, what are the five pillars of living in my today program? If you could walk us through those, Heather, that would be terrific. Absolutely. So uh, we do have five pillars. Um, Our first pillar is supportive approaches to care. And so this is where we are looking at understanding our residents first as people, Uh, We always want to start from that place of understanding each person as a unique individual with strengths and perspectives and a story that defines them. The second part of that pillar is really understanding what does it mean to live with dementia? How does dementia affect our senses and our memory and our communication ability and, you know, all of those things that impact our day-to-day experience. And then we actually teach people how do we connect with our uh, loved ones who are living with dementia? How can we continue to have a relationship and how can we Uh, create partnership moments where people living with dementia can continue to be active in the care moments that that are part of their life uh, living within the village. So that's supportive approaches to care. Next up, we have enjoyable meal times, and mm-hmm. you know we we eat three times a day, so our meals are a big part of every day. So how can we offer those meals in new ways? How can we support residents to um, to be as independent as possible? Do you want to have a, to know one of the simplest changes that we teach people in our villages? So I have worked in long term care for you know. 25 years. And typically we set the tables, you know, we, we're, we have breakfast with our residents, we clean up and we right away set the table for lunch. And then we close the dining room door and then we head, you know, to wash the dishes. Um, and so we've got this table that is set for lunch already at 10 or 10.30 in the morning. And what happens is whenever a person who's living with dementia, who perhaps doesn't know exactly what time of the day it is, 
they see that table and they go, oh, it must be time for lunch. And so they go in and they sit down and they wait at the table. And sometimes they get a little annoyed. This is the worst service I've ever had. (laughs) Yeah, imagine, where is my waitress? Right? And so the simplest thing that we teach is stop setting the tables that far before a meal. You should only set a table between 20 minutes to 15 minutes ahead of the meal. And when you set the table, it will create a natural cue that will invite your residents to know and understand that you're about to have a meal. That costs you nothing. Interesting. That costs you nothing. Isn't that fantastic? Yes, definitely. That's yeah, they're very important. Yeah. So that's enjoyable meal times. We have another pillar that is called meaningful and active engagement. And again, we are trying to uh, to teach uh, all of our team members and our family members and our residents that just as uh, food is important to nourish our physical body, engagement is what nourishes our mind and our spirit. And so we want to provide opportunities that are not just in a calendar. I don't just do the things that are in my calendar, do you? Uh, not always. <laughs> no, you have lots you have lots of spontaneity, right? That happens within your day. When you see the newspaper sitting on the table, you pick it up to read it. You don't have to have newspaper time listed on your calendar. So that's again us reframing what has been a very institutional approach to engagement and saying, how can engagement just become more of a normal natural? natural part of every day? How can we provide opportunities for people living with dementia to be surrounded by those cues that will naturally help to engage them? And then we did also develop 10 uh, Living in My Today leisure programs that are just They are the most exciting thing. And again, they are looking at engaging our residents in uh, specific programs. Um, I think my favorite one I could tell you about is called Express Yourself. And I remember when we were developing that program, you know, we had a lot of feedback from team members and residents saying, well, you know, they liked crafts. But then we had men who say, I don't want to go to a craft program. And so they wanted to go to a program where they could be themselves in a creative way, but it doesn't, it sounds too feminine if it's called crafts. And so actually it was residents who chose the name Express Yourself. And now our Express Yourself program has become this beautiful blend of different ways that people can be creative. Um, So that's a really fun part of that pillar. We also have a pillar that is called um, Empowered Care Partners, which is where we are recognizing and honoring that, um, you know, family members and team members and volunteers and students and, and residents all have a part to play in supporting people living with dementia. And we do that by providing really good education and providing opportunities for people to 
connect and to collaborate and share their stories together. So that is part of our Empowered Care Partners. We're really excited about a new tool we've developed uh, to use within that pillar that's called um, our Gather Groups. I can tell you more about that if you're interested. And then our final pillar is Thoughtful Design. So it's acknowledging that the way we design our physical building, um, the decor we use, the furniture, all of that plays a part in supporting people who are living with dementia. This is such great information and such a great way to sort of work your way through the journey. But um, from a personal perspective, um, Heather and I referenced this at the beginning, if someone's just starting to, you know, you're realizing that they're dealing with dementia, um, how do you have those conversations with them if they have not sort of admitted to themselves that it's there. Is that something that's been part of your experience as well? Absolutely. You know, I think first of all, it's just, it's really hard to A, recognize that you're changing and uh, B, admit that maybe there is something happening. And then you add to that uh, perhaps a little known or understood symptom of dementia that is actually agnosia or sorry, anisognosia, where you don't understand, you, you aren't aware that you are actually changing. And so that also means that it might be really different. Someone might never really believe that they have dementia. So that makes things even more tricky, right? Mm -hmm. Um, People believe that they are fine and that there's nothing wrong. Um, And so it takes a lot of insight um, for for people to be able to recognize uh, the changes that are happening. And that means sometimes, yeah, we end up having some really difficult conversations. Absolutely. Um, I did want to step back and really talk about the gather groups as well. I just had that question that was on the top of my mind. So can you give us a little bit of information about the gather groups? Yeah, you know what? Gather groups are are approach to offering support. So for years and years at Schlegel Villages, you know, we tried to come up with how do you run a support group and who runs a support group and and what does a support group look like? And, and that's a difficult thing. So we actually worked together with a, a, a team. So we had a small team working with us. We had a researcher from the Research Institute for Aging in Waterloo, um, Dr. Jane Kipfer. She was part of our, um, our support group. I guess you'd call it a support group for developing support groups. How do you like that? (laughs) Perfect. Um, And so together we were able to kind of come up with what is the need that we see? And we identified three different areas of need. So we identified that there is, um, it's a big transition when you move to long-term care or retirement living. And so you need to talk about that transition. And the best people to talk about that with are people who have experienced it, are sharing that experience. So we developed a group that's uh, for life transitions. We also found there's a lot of people who are grieving when they move in. So people who are grieving a change in their abilities, changes in their relationships, things that they had to give up. Maybe a person had to give up a pet or gave up their license or gave up hosting Christmas dinner 
right? When they moved into long-term care or into retirement living. And so we have a grief and loss uh, group. And then finally, we also wanted to honor how difficult the caregiver uh, journey is. And so we have a caregiver um, version of the group as well. So we've developed all the tools that uh, are required for running this group. We have a, a really great format that we follow, which creates predictability. And that predictability is what helps people who are attending to feel safe in sharing their story and their emotions. And then we've just been really encouraged to see uh, the stories and the connections building between the people who are attending. And that's what this is all about. Because, you know, we might work at Schlegel Villages, but we don't share that experience from their perspective. And so the best people who uh, can support them are people who share their journey. So we're really, really excited about those gather groups that have started to happen in our villages. Are they introducing most of these programs um, throughout all of the villages? Uh, or is it slowly happening in various ones or one program at a time? Uh, oh, gosh, what a great question, Evelyn. <laughs> it's hard when you've got 19 villages and you're trying to introduce something new. So Definitely. all of the villages received a gather kit in uh, February of this year. And then we hosted our first training session for gather facilitators in February. We held another one in March and then we did another one in May. So we are seeing villages um, slowly getting started with this because it, it, you know, you have to identify who's going to facilitate, how are you going to communicate this, um, and so it's a process. So our goal is to have uh, gather groups up and going in all of our villages by the end of this year. So it's a great question, Evelyn, about all of living in my today. How do you make this massive program you know, gain traction across 19 villages who might be, you know, in different places and spaces and different moments in time. And so the answer really is it's gradual. It's gradual in how you build capacity within uh, the village for people to learn these new concepts and ways of doing things. Remember I told you about meaningful and active engagement. Well, we have 15 recreation teams right now who are attending online training and they've been working hard meeting with me every month uh, since September of last year to learn. Um, they've just received some kits with some new resources. And so again, you can see it takes time. So this is this is the journey that we are on, a journey of changing how we support people who are living with dementia in our villages. And now that we've gone through the nuts and bolts, which you've explained so beautifully in the pillars, can you tell me, Heather, um, why is it called Living in My Today? And how is it also a philosophy, not just a program? Oh, what a no. You're just full of good questions today. I guess that's why so you curious. do what you do, eh? <laughs> So when I look at our logo, right, living in my today, I love 
each of those words individually. So first of all, living. The program is about living. It's about continuing to to grow and to experience life. It's it's not life is over. It's you know the people who have dementia continue to live. So they are in fact living. And then the next word is in and my. So where are they doing the living? It's in their reality. It's in their experience. It's in their today. I think uh, often dementia programs can be focused in yesterday. Um, Because, you know, we, we talk about people are able to remember yesterday, then they're better than they're able to remember today. But the thing is, is that, you know, a person who's living with dementia isn't static and they're not only that person of yesterday. They can continue to change. Did you know that people's, for instance, people's tastes and, and what they enjoy eating can change when they are living with dementia? So you might say, well, they used to really enjoy you know, uh, a fruit salad for dessert. And now they really enjoy a chocolate brownie. And I mean, who doesn't? Um, And that's because their tastes have changed. So do we only keep giving them a fruit salad because that's what they liked yesterday? Or do we honor the fact that they are continuing to live today and their experience today means they want to have a chocolate brownie? That's what living in my today is about. It's about recognizing and honoring that people who are living with dementia continue to be living and they continue to, um, or they should be able to continue making choices and having relationships and friendships. They should be able to continue engaging in activities and maybe they want to try something they never tried in their life because now they're not intimidated or they're not feeling inhibited to try something new. So uh, living in my today is really about just that. Um, We need to recognize that people who are living with dementia are in their own experience of the world. And our job is to come alongside them. Um, They're not living in our today. It was not called living in our today. Um, And it was also not called living in our today to say that all people living with dementia are the same. It's my today. Recognizing each person's experience is their own. So let's honor that. And I, uh, that's such great advice, especially as I say, personally, I'm going through this journey with someone who's just entering and we have a lot of focus on yesterday. Um, I I feel like we've only just sort of, you know, touched the surface of a lot of these programs and philosophies, Heather. So if people who are listening um, want to get in touch or find out more about the program, what's the best way for them to do that? Um, They can check out our website because our Living in My Today Dementia program has some information there. So that is a great place to to look for information about us and to learn from, uh, from our experience. So that's probably the best place for people to find that information. One of the things that was mentioned in some of the uh, program um, 
was called the stoplight approach. And I couldn't find anything more about that. What is that? <laughs> oh, Evelyn, we did have such a good conversation that day, you and I. I think we could have talked for hours. Oh, you're right. We should have ordered in takeout. My goodness. <laughs> well, the stop uh, light approach is actually um, a unique approach that we teach our team members to respond to people uh, in the moment when they're experiencing extreme distress. So you may have heard that sometimes people who are living with dementia can be, you know, these these nasty words, like they can become aggressive or oh, yes. angry or upset. And I like to think about that differently and say, well, a person who's living with dementia definitely experiences distress. And when they're experiencing distress, they need to let us know that. And they do that by using actions and words to tell us, right, how they're feeling. The tricky piece is that because it makes us uncomfortable when we see someone in distress, we sometimes come and we want to manage their distress. We kind of want to make it go away. And in doing that, sometimes the person feels like we don't truly understand. We haven't validated what they're feeling. Um, we're just trying to, to make them stop doing whatever it is they're doing. The stoplight approach says that that's not going to work. When a person is in a, an extreme moment of distress, the first thing we need to do is actually stop, just like a stoplight. Stop what you're doing. <laughs> stop what you're doing if you're in the middle of, you know, uh, you say you're helping your husband, David, and, and you're putting on his shoes and suddenly he is kicking you. Well, you need to say, I need to stop what I'm doing and understand what is David trying to tell me? Maybe the shoe is too tight. Maybe I'm going too quickly, right? So number one, we need to stop what we're doing. Number two, we need to use some caution, right? That orange light, we use some caution because otherwise if you if you run an orange light, you could get hit by somebody else, right? Or you could hit a pedestrian or, you know, a cyclist. So you stop what you're doing and then you use some caution to just pause and, and think about the situation you're in and go again, what are they trying to tell me? How can I make sure that they are going to be safe and that I am also going to be safe in this moment of distress? And then the green part of the stoplight approach is the, um, the positive approaches that we teach people to use in response in guiding their response. And, and one of the key ones is actually validating someone's, um, validating someone's distress. And, and that's something that miraculously we haven't always been taught. We've been taught how to redirect distress. Um, we've been taught how to distract people, but we haven't always been taught how to validate someone. So here's just my example for you. Uh, a quick example. If you've lost your cell phone, which I do regularly, if I've lost my cell phone, is it helpful for my husband to say, oh, don't worry about it. It'll turn up. 
Not really. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So next, I want to hear, what do you think about this? What if my husband says to me, oh, don't worry about it right now. Here, sit down and have a cup of tea. Will that make it better? No, they should just stop talking at this point. Right. And and in fact, yes, I'm going to become more and more angry. Right. And so that's where it would be far more helpful for my husband um, in this case to say, you've lost your cell phone. Well, that's annoying, isn't it? Let me see if I can help you find it. That's what validation does. So that's just an example of one of those green light approaches that we teach as part of the stoplight approach to supporting people in distress. So again, it's that idea of how do we reframe things so people can understand. We, we want to keep things simple. Um, for people in the stoplight helps people understand in a new and a different way. Heather, I feel like we could do a 10-part docu-series with you on this program <laughs> on everything that you do for the people at Schlegel Villages. But sadly, our we time can't. is coming to a close. We can't. But again, people can go to schlegelvillages.com to find more of that information. And thank you so much uh, for being a part of our Elder Wisdom Stories from the Green Bench podcast. Um, on behalf of Evelyn and myself, we truly appreciate it and hope that everyone listening will go back and listen to more episodes if they find us on the podcast at Elder Wisdom Stories from the Green Bench. Thank you, Heather. And thank, thank you. you. Thanks, Evelyn. Good to chat with you again. As always, Heather, look forward to another time. And just a reminder to our listeners that Dr. Jane Kipfer was a guest on the podcast earlier, episode 49. So do yourself a favor and go back and listen to her words of wisdom. Elder Wisdom, Stories from the Green Bench, is brought to you by Schlegel Villages, a complete continuum of care, offering independent living to long-term care, celebrating and honoring the wisdom of the elder. To learn more about us, please go to our website, schlegelvillages.com.